Welcome to the Death Kit Show. Let's go. To all my listeners, please go to thedifferentbook.com and pick up a copy of my new children's book, Different. 10% of every book sold goes directly to the cystic fibrosis charity, Emily's Entourage, which is searching for a cure for a unique mutation of the cystic fibrosis gene. I recommend Different to children ages five and up. Growing up as kids, we sometimes feel like we don't fit in with everyone else, whether it's our curly hair, a mole or freckle we don't like, being too tall or too short, the list goes on. Different teaches kids that we all have our thing and everyone is different, which means being different is normal. I'm very excited about this book and want to give as much as I can to Emily's Entourage, so please pick up a copy for your kids or grandkids or friends' kids and help me spread the word. Check out thedifferentbook.com for all the details. And if you haven't yet, please rate this podcast five stars and leave a review. It all really does help. to the GK Show. Fun music at the beginning. Yeah! Uh! Hope you're having a good day. Let's start the pod. They're gonna set my soul, they're gonna set my soul on fire I got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn So get those stakes up higher Alright guys, I'm singing Viva Las Vegas My daughter thinks that Las Vegas is called Viva Las Vegas Because we played the song for her And she tries to sing it And she goes, she tries to do the music in the middle too She goes like, she'll say uh, Viva Las Vegas Viva Las Vegas It's pretty cute Okay, total dad moment. Let's start the pod. Um, I gotta say, guys, not to start on a downer note, but I am in Las Vegas all this week, 8 p.m. at the Strat inside the Stratosphere at the L.A. Comedy Club, and my uh, my book that I've been, uh, you know, that I think you guys all know about by now, the different book or different, um, thedifferentbook.com. So I give some of the proceeds to Emily's Entourage, which is a cystic fibrosis charity for a specific type of CF that is not curable or treatable right now. And this lady came up after the show last night and bought my book and said that her five-month-old granddaughter, or I don't know if it's her granddaughter, I think it's her granddaughter, five-month-old has it, and she has that mutation. And the lady started crying as she bought my book, and I was just like, that, that's how horrible that disease is. So that's why I want to give as much as I can to it. It's like I tried, I had to like keep it together. It's such a horrible, horrible thing. Imagine you have a kid and then it's like immediately sick. And I know it's not with uh, cystic fibrosis isn't the only thing, but it's so terrible. So anyways, uh, yeah, if you haven't yet, check out The Different Book and tell a friend, thedifferentbook.com. Thank you so much. Um, Also, I saw some more people rated the podcast five stars. Appreciate it. I know it's annoying. I say it every time, but it really does help. So thank you for doing that. And all right, so we've got a couple articles to get to today that I thought were interesting. I'm kind of obsessed with psychology today. I'm definitely going to move it around. I just don't want to talk about 
what's on every news channel all the time. You know what I mean? Hey guys, impeachment hearings. <laughs> I mean, it's like one side's like, we got them, and the other side's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> and it's like the same thing 24-7. So uh, unless I can find that sliver of the country who is like me and isn't super crazy on one side or the other, until I do that, I'm going to stick to psychology today and stuff like this. I think these articles are kind of fun. So this one I did not want to do yesterday because I thought it was a little bit too close to the other one, the Thanksgiving one. But this one is by Amelia Aldao, Aldao, A-L-D-A-O, Ph.D., managing the stress around the office party okay so we talked about the thanksgiving stress of dealing with your family who all fucking suck and you're perfect (laughs) yesterday that author by the way retweeted my my podcast because i said i talked about her article i wonder if she listened to it i'd love to have her on obviously i was being jokey but i kind of did poop on her article a little bit not i didn't mean to poop on it but you get what i'm saying you know what i mean i was making jokes about her hard work why am i every it's like i am healthy for one day i'm sick and then in a certain way and then i get healthy for a day or two and i have a new sickness the next day so doing my best not to sniff but there's another one okay all right managing the stress around the office party five tips for making the best out of them It's two weeks until Thanksgiving. This means the holiday season is very much around the corner. Or, judging by the ridiculous number of unsolicited catalogs I got in the mail this morning, I might dare say it's already here. Oh, this Amelia is cheeky. I like her. The holidays are a great time to connect with family and friends. Are they? We should listen. Maybe you want to read Ellen Hendrickson's article. But they also bring up a lot of difficult conversations and unpleasant moments. Much will be published about such moments in the coming weeks. Today, though, I want to focus on a particularly dreadful type of situation we must all contend with during this time of year, the work holiday party. I wish there was a work holiday party I could go to. I have just a rogue warrior out here. I'm just Jack Reacher. Comedians, we're just all out here, attached to nothing. No office parties. Whether you work for a fancy corporation that organizes a black tie event, that sounds awesome, or are being dragged by your colleagues to a low-key potluck in the office kitchen, that sounds shitty, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And whether you experience social anxiety or not, these must-have-fun-it's-the-end-of-the-year events are quite difficult to navigate. Today I'm sharing tips for how to make the best out of your work holiday parties. I'm drawing from my experiences as as a clinical psychologist who specializes in anxiety, but also as someone who's worked in many industries and thus has been to all kinds of disastrous holiday work parties, although never quite as bad as the one from the movie Office Christmas Party. Okay. And not to geek out too much, but I'm structuring them based on the process model of emotion regulation, which was created by James Gross at Stanford University and stipulates that there are five ways of managing difficult situations. Drink. Drink some more. (laughs) What you don't want to do is smoke weed. That's all. That's always. Remember when I used to smoke? Sometimes I wasn't so scared when you'd meet someone new. You'd be with somebody and be like, "Oh, hey, Jeff, this is my friend so and so," and you're like, "Hi, am I being weird?" <laughs> and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Nothing." Was that weird? That was a long pause, right? Like it's a normal pause. I'm like, "All right, okay, I'm high, I'm high." <laughs> Just melt down. Do not overcommit. This is number one. Do not overcommit. Perhaps you'll be invited to multiple end-of-year parties. Maybe you work for a large corporation or are being dragged to events by your spouse or friends. 
Oh, I do do that. Sometimes my wife does take me to things. If this is the case, keep in mind that you do not have to attend every single party. It's okay to sit some of them out. Man, somebody's reading this going, I didn't get invited to any parties. <laughs> hey guys, there's a shitload of parties, right? You're popular. I know. It can give you anxiety. Everybody likes you. Are you freaking out yet? Uh, it's okay to sit some of them out. When it comes to social interactions and networking, quality is just as important. I dare say, frequently even more important. Is this like the third time she's used I dare say in parentheses? In parentheticals? What do you, what do you guys say? Parentheses or parentheticals? I feel like saying parentheticals, you sound more of like a snob. Yeah, send in the parenthetical section of the... I dare say, frequently even more important than quantity. So... Try to prioritize and spend your time and emotional energy on those parties that matter the most. Also, you don't have to attend every party from beginning to end. Sometimes making a quick appearance is perfectly fine. Set to number two, set up goals. And it sounds like a fun person to go to a party with. Hey, I'm going to this party. Here are my goals. <laughs> I'm going to fucking do a cake stand. I'm going to make out with Jennifer because I've been thinking about it all year. <laughs> And then I'm going to put an upper decker in my boss's office toilet. Regardless of how many parties you attend and for how long, it's super important to go into those social situations with clear goals. Are you looking to develop a stronger relationship with the people in your team? What is this, like American Psycho? <laughs> hey, I'm going to this party. I'm going to develop a strong bond with Ted over there. Ted is a go-getter. If I latch onto Ted's coattails, I'm VP of marketing in fucking no time. All right, strong relationship with people in your team, to bond with your boss, to better understand what motivates your employees every day, to eat good food and have a good laugh. When I teach cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, to my clients, this is one of the first things I emphasize as being key to overcoming obstacles in their lives, to have clear goals that can, one, serve as a compass, and two, provide an objective measurement of success. Same here. You'll be way more effective, feel less anxious, and have a lot more fun if you approach these situations with clear, actionable, and measurable goals, for example, talking to two people from another department, or making sure that you chat with that person from accounting who always seems very nice. <laughs> How are you having more fun if you're setting goals? Then I'd, I'd be more anxious because I'm not hitting all my goals. Say I go in with seven goals, I hit three of them real quick, all of a sudden I can't do four, five, six, and seven, now I'm melting down again, freaking out, dare I say. All right, number three. Be mindfully present. Sometimes we have no choice but to attend certain parties, so it can be tempting to engage in subtle forms of avoidance, such as drinking excessively, standing in a corner looking at our phone, or only talking to one person. Do they just talk about me specifically? <laughs> in CBT, we call these safety behaviors, and we teach clients to slowly reduce their reliance on them, which is easy to say but takes time to do. So, as you plan which parties you'll be attending and start refining your goals, I encourage you to think of any safety behaviors you might be tempted to carry out. See if you can reduce your reliance on them. Maybe you can have fewer drinks than usual, or put your phone in your coat pocket and engage with others, or talk to a few new people. <laughs> Hello. What's up, goal number nine? Uh, you're a new person, and I want to talk to you. I'd love to speak to you. Are you from a different department? You're from my department. Okay, fuck off. I'm looking for somebody from a different department to talk to. <laughs> Sorry, I'll talk to you later if I achieve my goals, and then you can have some leftover time for you. But in the meantime, I'm a man on a mission. I'm a fun guy at a party. <laughs> I got 27 goals. I need to check them off the list. 
All right, number four. Say no to the anxious voice in your head. If going to this type of event makes you anxious or uncomfortable, it is quite likely that any anxious thoughts or worries you have about them won't go away the minute you walk into the party. Rather, these thoughts are likely to pop up at random times during the event. You'll be in the middle of a conversation, and all of a sudden, you'll get hit by thoughts like, Oh my, what if I said the wrong thing? Why is she looking at me like that? I'm clearly not interesting. I can't believe I just told the same story again. And so on. Sounds like somebody smoked weed before this party, because those are all the thoughts I would have if I was high. Once again, I would recommend that you do a bit of party prep so that you're ready to tackle these anxious thoughts when they come up. In CBT, we ask you to identify three to five thoughts that you know are likely to come up based on your prior experiences so that when they do pop up, you can mentally point at them and say, I'm having the anxious thought that blank and resist the temptation to buy into it. By the way, this is probably one of the hardest exercises to do. It's okay if it takes time. It might also be necessary to read CBT self-help books or work with a CBT therapist. Jeez, <clears throat> that in meditation is what they call noting. And it really does help. And it does, so I'm, I'm, all, I'm on board with number four because that is something that really does help since I started meditating years ago. Uh, noting, that really helps when you, when you just recognize a thought's coming in your head and go, hey, thought, you're, I'm having that, get away from me. I've had it, I don't need to dwell on it. So number four, I'm into. Number five, is this the last one? Yep, this is the last one. Okay, here we go. Take stock mindfully. At the end of the party, or even before it's over, your mind is itching to process everything, everything that happened. And before you realize, you're stuck ruminating about everything that you said and did, wondering what everybody thought. And quite frequently, assuming the worst. You might have thoughts along these lines. Oh no, I was a total mess. Nobody will like me after tonight. Or, I won't be able to bond with anyone. This type of rumination is called post-event processing and it can be very problematic, as it will make you worry even more next time you have to go into a difficult social situation. Man, I kind of do that. Not all of those, but the, uh, the, uh, what were the, where nobody will like me. Oh no, I was a total mess. Nah, I don't know, not those specifically, but I'll sometimes be texting with somebody who likes me and I, and I like them. And then I'll be like, did I just say the wrong thing? Like I get very, I don't like texting, I feel like. I mean, I do it all the time like everybody else, but I feel like I'll sometimes latch onto something and be like, they stopped texting. Instead of me thinking like, oh, they probably just got busy, whatever. I'm like, oh, they, they took what I said the wrong way. I start reading the last thing I wrote. I don't do this every time, I'm not crazy, but I definitely do it sometimes. Um, I recently texted somebody about something I texted like a month ago. I'm like, hey, did this like rub you the wrong way? I didn't mean it like to well, be offensive. I thought, looking back, I thought it might be bad timing. They were like, oh no, not at all. And now they're probably like, this guy's fucking weird. <laughs> so I guess I am a little nutso. Uh, oh, she's a little bit psycho, a little bit psycho. It's a good song. All right. What I would recommend is that at the end of the party, you take a few minutes to mindfully take stock of your performance. Think of the two to three things that went really well, and the two to three thing that could two to three that could be different next time. Crucially, time box the exercise so that it only lasts a few minutes. Set an, up an alarm if you need to. Also, when reviewing the things that perhaps didn't go so well. Focus on what you could change in the future as opposed to what you were not able to do in the past. Jeez. This sounds like, I mean, all this stuff, I feel like these are good tips, but a lot of them, all this prepping for the party and setting goals and then taking stock afterwards and what went well, what didn't go well, I feel like that would make you have more anxiety, right? 
If you'd like to learn more about social anxiety, anxiety, stress, or CBT, please get in touch. As always, please remember that these posts are for informational purposes only. If you think you or someone you know would be struggling, okay, whatever. Dr. Amelia Aldao. Aldao. Okay, well, I think I think I hope that helps some people. Definitely helped me. I'm going into every interaction with clear goals from now on. Uh, all right, let's lighten the mood, possibly. I haven't read these. I'm reading these all for the first time, by the way. I don't know if I uh, mentioned that. I kind of like look at them real quick and see if it'd be interesting. I'm like, okay, that'd be interesting. Then I just go, I'll read it. I'll read it on the pod. Next one. Beautiful Doesn't Always Mean Attractive by Michael Riley, MD, and Keon Parsa, MD. The fundamental difference between beauty and physical attractiveness. Here we go. The golden ratio of beauty originates from the time of the Greeks and Romans and was popularized during the Renaissance when artists like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci used this mathematical principle to compute the beauty in their masterpieces. According to the ratio, the ideal proportion between various sites of the face is 1.618. While historically different cultures were believed to have different standards of beauty, more recent work has found high consistency between people's judgments of facial beauty within within and between cultures. This is interesting. Research has also shown that our perceptions of beauty may be hardwired into our being such that newborn infants look longer at pictures of beautiful faces. A recent study published by facial cosmetic surgeon Julian De Silva, Julian De Silva implemented this mathematical form to determine the world's most beautiful woman in 2019. In the article, he claimed Bella Hadid was the world's most beautiful woman, followed by Beyonce. This list has led to significant controversy around the, glo- the golden ratio and what it means to be beautiful. Take a look at Webster's definition of beauty. The quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses. When discussing the physical beauty of an individual, this definition is assessed by the visual sense. Of course, when appreciating physical beauty through sight, there are certainly implications about the ways in which the subject may be pleasing to other senses as well. This is very interesting. Oh, here's the 10 most beautiful women in the world on the side, ready? According to this guy's thing. Bella Hadid, 94.35%. Beyonce, 92.44%. Amber Heard, 91.85%. Ariana Grande, 91.81%. Taylor Swift, 91.64%. Kate Moss, 91.05%. Scarlett Johansson, 90.91%. Natalie Portman, 90.51%. Katy Perry, 90.08%. Kara Delivney, Delivney, 89.99%. Katy Perry, man, if you put in her personality, I think that drops her down pretty far. She's so. My wife watches American Idol, and I'm not trying to be a dick. She's fucking hard to watch. She's just so phony. It's unbelievable. Um, all right, let's move on with the article. I got to look up some of these people. I'm going to look up. I don't even know what Bella Hadid looks like. She's supposed to be the most beautiful woman in the world. Besides my wife. Hello. Bella Hadid. Let's see what this lady looks like. Let's see my initial reaction. Come on. That's supposed to be the most beautiful person in the world? She's really pretty, obviously. That's pretty interesting. How does she have that ratio or whatever? That's perfect. I don't know. I would not have... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of women I feel are prettier than her physically. Let me see. Kara... Del- just because I don't even know who this person... Delivigny? Deliv- 
Delivni images. Sorry, guys. Now this is a good listening. Oh, she's pretty. I can see that. She has nice eyes and everything. This is like classic model features. Very photogenic. I don't know, though. Whatever. Okay. Uh, I always thought like Natalie Portman was pretty obviously had some like crazy facial symmetry. That's like a big thing. You don't really realize until you see people on film and you're like, whoa, why is that person's face not totally perfect? <laughs> I've, I've talked about this a bunch, but when you see movie stars, they're always better looking than you thought. I mean, a lot of times they're super skinny and that's kind of like their face that I'm talking about because film is shot so close to your face. Like your skin has to be perfect and like your nose and your eyes and your like underneath your eyes like everything is just not fucked up <laughs> basically it's all because they're such tight shots all right attractiveness on the other hand is defined as quote arousing interest or pleasure appealing end quote beyond pleasure the inclusion of interest and appeal into the criteria for attractiveness allows for more subjectivity there are many factors that influence one's perception of attractiveness to another such as socio-cultural attributes and personal preferences. Yeah, the personal preferences, there we go. Unique to a particular individual's tastes and life experiences. One such example is the preference for self-resemblance. One study showed that heterosexual males in particular are more likely to rate an individual of the opposite gender as more attractive when that individual looks more similar to their own appearance than someone who does not. That's crazy. If I saw a woman who looked more like me, I would not think she was more attractive. This is presumably due to inferences drawn about shared genetic background. Another interesting perspective is that of perceptual narrowing in which there is a decrease in the discrimination ability between facial attributes to which we are not regularly exposed to during critical times in our development. I could see that when you're a little kid, little baby, you're seeing people probably most of them look like you because they're in your family. Although the perception of beauty is more consistent within and between groups, it is, of course, not universally standard. Ultimately, though, it is the additional dimensions of perceived interest and appeal inherent to the concept of attractiveness that explain why not all readers would agree that Bella Hadid is, in fact, the world's most attractive woman, despite her 94.35% golden ratio score. Man, who else? Is that the end of the article? All right, that article wasn't as good as I thought. This golden ratio score... There should, is there an app, like the Golden Ratio app, where you can just take a picture of your face and they give you your score? That would be brutal. Mine would probably not be very good at all. I have, like, one side of my face is different than the other and all sorts of stuff. Well, what do you think, guys? I'll give you that list again. Bella Hadid, Beyonce, Amber Heard, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, Kate Moss, Scarlett Johansson, Natalie Portman, Katy Perry, Cara Delevingne. I still can't say that word. I'm usually pretty good with names. Kate Moss. I don't even know what Kate Moss looks like. I know that name, but I would not. If you show me a picture of Kate Moss, I would be like, oh, it's Kate Moss. Now I'm looking her up. Images. Yep. Would not. If you show me that picture, I would not have said Kate Moss. She's one of the most. I guess she's a little older there. She's old now. Is she old or is she just these bad pictures? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Why? Where's the men? Where's the most beautiful men according to the golden ratio? Who's on your list? Brad, dude, young Brad Pitt? Get the fuck out of here. That guy, holy shitballs. I think Zac Efron too, man. That guy, I think I'm just more attracted to his talent. <laughs> that guy can dance and sing. Okay, I've talked about this before. Um, let's see. What do you guys want to do next? Four ways technology can make you happier or parenting is not just about your child. 
let's do the parenting one and then we'll do technology I think they might there might be a, a way they connect all right parenting is not just about your child by Liz Mathias Mathias why am I bad at pronouncing names all of a sudden it used to be the best the best I was the best I was the best at pronouncing names show me a name I'd pronounce it okay I could pronounce any name jump easy Shiggy you stay back Man, my dog's pretty good in the hotel room, but then somebody comes near our door. He's like, fucking, I've had enough. <laughs> and he runs over there. <laughs> okay. Parenting is about you, the parent, and the stuff that you carried into this gig. You and I both know that parenting did not come with a manual with a colorful cover, an appendix with chapters that range from infancy to adulthood, and we certainly didn't have to take an exam or gain a license to become a parent. If you ask me, before we decide to start a family, we should be required to take a course and gain a certificate that says, you've been warned, you're about to get on the bumpiest roller coaster of your life. You will learn and teach, you will watch and be watched, you will guide and be guided. Oh, <laughs> honey, you are speaking the truth. When I became a parent, I had a vision of who my child was going to be. I often was lost in my daydreams of a blue-eyed little boy who would eat, sleep, and follow my every instruction, who was athletic, confident, and social. Well, I did have a beautiful blue-eyed boy, but the rest didn't work out just like that. Oh, man, is he reading this article? <laughs> He's like, what? You don't think I'm athletic? I'm not confident? I'm not social? <laughs> I don't eat and sleep? Part of becoming a parent means that we need to understand and recover from the parenthood that we, that we received. It means that we need to understand and become aware of the messages that were given to us, the wounds we continue to carry, the messages we continue to give ourselves that started off as our parents' judgments, criticisms, and conditions, and then became our own words that we speak to ourselves, with or without awareness. Our children are not our narcissistic extensions. They are not here to fit into our visions and expectations of who they will and should become. Our children are born with clean slates, and they have the potential to do everything, anything. But it's through our... You know what? Kids are definitely born with clean slates to an extent, but there are definitely genetic things that make kids certain ways because my son and daughter, they're both being raised by my wife and I, obviously, and they have a lot of things that are way different about their personalities. Uh, anyways, but it's through our criticisms, expectations, and our conditional love that creates judgments and deflates motivation and potential. We have been given by our parents and their parents and their parents a checklist of who we should become as parents and who our children should become. But that checklist may not be in sync with who your child is, who they want to be, and therein lies the problem. Instead, we live a life where we are... What life where we are shoulding all over ourselves. I get it. Shoulding. Oh, Emily Matthias. Do the dance. When two people dance, one person moves forward and the other responds by stepping back. One moves to the side and the other follows. The dancers listen to the body language, feel the direction in which the pair is being pulled. Dancing is an art because there are no clear-cut rules about the exact steps. Yes, we can take dance lessons and have an idea of the type of movement, the beat, the general idea. Parenting is a dance. A dance with no instruction on how your child will respond, what to say, how often to say it. It requires timing and awareness of what is needed, how much and when to stop. When to say something and when not to, when to guide and when to step away, when to intervene and when to let your child work it out or not. Are you going to tell me how to parent or not? Because I came to this article for the answers. I know it's exhausting, but, the, but being in tune 
with your child will make your parenting more productive and that you are moving in the same direction. When you move out of sync, you, the parent, and your child become frustrated and the interaction is no longer enjoyable. What is going on here? Am I supposed to like let my kid dictate what I do? My daughter wants to have candy for breakfast. I have to step in lockstep. I have to move in, in sync with that. <laughs> okay. We'll all have candy for breakfast. Sounds good, Leia. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> Enter into your shadows. Oh, here we're, here's it going. It's getting dark. As parents, we have inherited many generations of rules, standards, expectations, and sometimes plain old garbage. It is up to us as parents to be aware of what messages we are giving our children based on the messages that we are given that were given to us and the messages we have internalized and believed. This is all kind of like common knowledge, right? Like I already knew this going in. My parents did some, like most, like they did a lot of amazing stuff. There's some things, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do that like my dad did. I don't want to do that like my mom did. But like most of it is all good stuff. For example, think about the high achieving parent who has an average child. In my experience, this is a tough one for parents to accept. That's like LeBron James's kids, right? He's like, uh, you're going to play basketball, right? <laughs> and they are and like, okay, cool. You're going to go to the NBA, right? Oh, you're going to stop in college first? That's kind of lame. Daddy went straight to the league. <laughs> and I started dominating pretty much right away. So anything less than that, you're kind of a failure. Uh, the message that is passed on verbally or non-verbally is that, quote, you are not worthy of my love and I cannot accept you unless you are above average, end quote. Jeez. I know that sounds harsh. And although it's not being said, it is being said without words. It is not an option to return the child to the average pile and pick up another one from the above average or superior pile. So the work here becomes bringing to awareness the messages that we are holding onto and using to interpret and value or devalue our child's identity, interests, grades, friends, the list goes on. This article is just a lot of blah, 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 I get it. Once you are aware of the long checklist of standards, you'll be able to let them go for yourself and your child. Okay. I do have some standards for my kids. I don't want my kids to be bad people. I don't want them to be bullies. I want them to be compassionate. I want them to be the kids that help out other kids if they're being picked on. Um, I want them to stand up for themselves if they themselves are being picked on. I mean, I want them to work hard and not be lazy. You know, I want them to be better than me. I don't want them to be as good as me. I want them to be better than me. At that point, you will likely find that you are seeing yourself and your child through a different filter, but the first step is awareness of those internalized messages that guide your everyday decisions, actions, and words. Parenting is not just about our children, it's also about us and the many standards, standards with which we came into as children ourselves. Think about this daily and begin to shed away the generations of expectations and messages that may not be serving you or your child. I think having some expectations is good. Like I was, I was not completely swayed by this. I get what she's saying. You know, you don't want to, I guess, be crazy and have unrealistic goals for your kid. Like if your kid's 5'5 five, five and they're 18, you don't want to be like, are you going to slam dunk a basketball or not? But what, what, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. I'm going to tag her in the tweet when I put this out, see if she wants to come on too. I want to talk to these people. I wonder if they have time. How busy are they? Um, that sounds kind of Don't you want to have some standards for your kids? I think that'd be a good pod, huh? Now I'm excited about this. I'm just gonna, we're gonna save the technology one for tomorrow. Ooh, look at me, double cliffhanger. Cliffhanger yesterday, cliffhanger today. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna get this out and then I'm gonna see if Liz Mathias or who's the other one? Uh, Amelia Aldao and I don't know about these beautiful guys, Michael Riley and Keon Parsa. 
I'll tag these guys too. If they, do they have, they put their like Twitter at the end of all these things? Ah, these guys. Michael J. Riley does not put his Twitter, just his uh, yeah, just his LinkedIn and his Facebook. So they, I will not tag them. These women are all about their Twitter. Wait, let me see if uh, Amelia Alda has Twitter. Come on, come on, come on. Twitter, boom. All right, great. I'm gonna like be friends with those people on LinkedIn. I have LinkedIn. I, I signed up one day when I was drunk. You know, you always get those notifications. Hey, so-and-so wants you to join LinkedIn. And then one time I was drunk in 2010 or something. And uh, I was like, yeah, what's LinkedIn? I still don't even really, I don't ever use it. Every now and then someone will write me a message, but I could tell it's just this cut and paste thing that they send to everybody on their list. Hey, I'm looking to do this and that and network and we should link up. It's like, all right, whatever. What? What's going on? <laughs> so... Yeah, I think I'm going to LinkedIn all these people, be friends with them. Maybe they'll accept. Maybe they won't. I don't know. All right, guys. Let's see. Vegas tonight, 8 p.m. And all oh, my parents are coming tonight. Parents are coming into Vegas. They're coming to see me. The Wednesday and Thursday shows, <clears throat> they could be good, but they could be weird, you know? Who's in the crowd in Vegas on a Wednesday? Middle of the week? It's either people who book some, like, what's wrong with my throat right now? I have some weird voice. They book like a Sunday through Wednesday or through Thursday thing because they got a really cheap deal. Or it's people who came too early. Or it's locals. Locals could be good sometimes. Sometimes locals are trash, though. They're just drinking. But, uh, yeah, so I just hope it's a good crowd so my parents can see me have a good show tonight, tomorrow. And I'm going to see my great-aunt Marsha. She lives out here. She is the most upbeat person alive. Like, you will not... Anyone who's ever met her, it's just like, geez, like that lady is so happy. And she's, her husband, my great uncle, uh, Harry, passed away in 2000. So she's been by herself out here for 19 years. And I mean, she has friends and stuff. She goes and plays bingo and all that, I think. I don't know if she still can. She's 90 something. And she, I mean, physically, she looks so old and she's so upbeat. Like she's, even though she's like kind of like, she's a little physically impaired now, she can't move around like she used to, she's still so happy. I don't even know how to explain it. It's unbelievable. It's like I'm not. I've never even been that happy in my life. Well, I've been. It's like you see her and she goes, "Oh!" And she like her hands go like it, like uh, back and forth in the air, like "Oh, hello, hey!" And she's like so happy. It's unbelievable. She's the best. Everybody loves Marsha. So, any hooser. Uh, I had a weird. I had a weird dream last night that I was gonna. That I had a really good bit. Or I did an impression of Bernie Mac doing Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know what I was saying, but I have such weird dreams where I'm on stage. I'm just like, <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal with the, with the airplane? I can't even do Bernie Mac. What am I doing? I don't know, guys. Oh, my poor little dog. He's sitting there. He's all happy. So anyways, uh, uh, please uh, thank you again for rating the podcast five stars. Those of you that have, you haven't, please do so. Help spread the word. I feel like I'm starting to find a bit of a groove when I'm in town. I can crank out these pods. Uh, Got some comedian friends in town, so I'm hoping to get a couple interviews uh, done. They'll be better than those phone ones I did. The audio will be better because I'll just have them come to the room. I got the mic. Uh, So anyways, yeah, check out thedifferentbook.com and uh, help spread the word on that. I feel like it's starting to catch on. Big shout out to, uh, I forgot her real name, but her Instagram is beautyintheleast. Uh, and then an underscore and she's a influencer i think she does fashion blogs or makeup tips or something i'm not sure but 
she was a listener to my other podcast and she came to a show i met her in person and she's helping spread the word she put in her instagram story today i'll put it in mine um promoting my book which is so sweet so uh yeah check her out check out me on social media if you want just my name jeff keith g-e-o-f-f-k-e-i-t-h thanks so much for listening i will be back tomorrow i'll find the time i uh, appreciate all you guys Thank you for listening to my daddy.